Welcome to my new podcast, Relationship Over Religion. My name is Sylvia, and I'm your host. So I'm going to start with sharing a little bit about myself, and we'll get to why I'm here. So, born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and I'm coming to you from my two-bedroom apartment, and... I'm first-generation American. My parents came from Egypt in the 1970s. I have two older sisters, and they were both born in Egypt. One came, one was like two weeks old, and the other one was like a year and a half when they came from Egypt. So, you know, a couple years later, you know, a beautiful, bouncing baby girl came out named Sylvia, and I'm here today. So, I'd love to say that I grew up in the church, and the church formed me, and it's the basis of who I am as a person, but it didn't. Um, I have a relationship with Christ that some people at church would say, you know, I live in sin, or it's blasphemous, or or whatnot, but that's the whole point of Christ, y'all. He came to change those rules, so... He loves me and he welcomes me for who I am. And because I love him, he's changed me from the inside out. Every day, every year, every minute that goes by. So fast forward, you know, growing up in the San Fernando Valley, I would... I would really speak English to my parents. My Arabic is pretty broken because they were trying to learn English and inadvertently they would speak to me in English and want me to answer them in English. So I didn't really learn Arabic till I was like 12. My uncle came from Egypt, my mom's brother, and he taught me Arabic. And if any of you guys are I Love Lucy fans, if you can picture the episode where she hires the French tutor to teach her French, la table, or what, all, all that. Um, that's how it was trying to learn Arabic from him. But so always when I talk, people are always laughing at me. Or, oh, you sound so cute. And who wants to sound cute? But anyways, so fast forward a couple years later, my, my mom leaves my dad. And I was like 13 or 14. Very traumatic experience. Took me years of healing just to be able to say it that briefly to you. I stay with my dad. I was, I guess I was emancipated or something, and I got to choose who I wanted to stay with. So I chose to stay with my dad in the home I had grew up in, and he got remarried when I was around 17 years old. I'm still in high school. I graduated high school, went to Granada. Shout out to the Highlanders, class of 01, and... um. Shortly after my 18th birthday, I get kicked out. All-American, if you can ever say all-American. Kicked out at 18. And I would love to say that that's when my life went on a downward spiral, but it didn't. I got a job. I lived with some friends next to CSUN till I had money to buy a car. And then I got my own apartment. And I was doing the damn thing. I was 18, 19, making a lot of money. 
And, you know, I found freedom and money was my first addiction because it gave me it gave me what I thought was freedom, letting me buy what I want, go where I want. And then when money got boring, some, you know, I got introduced to pills, Vicodin. Norcos, we used to call those the canaries because they're yellow, like the canary. Anyways, um, <laughs> sorry, I can get lost in these things sometimes. But, and then before I know it, I was introduced to Oxycontin. Now I was like, oh, what's this? You know, and the people I was around at the time, they were like, oh, it's like Vicodin, just a little bit stronger. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's no big deal. I was popping two, three, four pills a, like at a time when I was really taking the Vicodin. So I was like, okay, no big deal. The first time I do it, I remember we scratch off that time release, we crush it up, and we snort it. I think I threw up immediately. And I was like, damn, that's some good shit, huh? Because that's how backwards thinking when you're using is. Um, before I knew it, I was doing it every day. Mixing it with Xanax, smoking weed, and I'm not really drinking, though. The drinking was like clubbing days. This We're past that now. And so I find myself at 22, 23 years old, hooked on Oxycontin and not even realizing it. I wake up one day in a cold sweat, and I'm like, what is, why do I feel this way? I call my dealer. And I tell him what was going on. And he's like, oh, you're going through withdrawal. I was like, withdrawal? I didn't, even, I didn't even know what withdrawals was. So I had to look it up. You know, old faithful Google. I, I went to Google and I was like, withdrawal symptoms. And I, I literally am shocked. And I can't believe I, I had put myself in the situation of going through withdrawal symptoms. So knowing I needed to make a change immediately, I remembered hearing an ad on the radio about UCLA doing a study to help people get off Oxycontin. So I called the number and I'm interviewed by some woman and basically I didn't qualify for the program because I didn't take enough Oxy. I think at the time I was doing maybe two, three pills a day and that didn't fit their criteria or their requirement to allow people into the program. So she said, you know, just, just wean yourself off and, and per tell yourself it's a cold. Tell yourself it's a really bad cold. Going through withdrawals, y'all, is almost worse than COVID. You know, there's hallucinations, there's achy bones, there's sweats, there's the fog of the brain, the hallucinations. There's so many things that happen when somebody's going through withdrawal that that's why people who use don't want to go through withdrawal. And at that point, using isn't even to get high anymore. It's to get well. But that's not the point. So that situation, I don't get approved to go to the program. So I up the ante and I start using more, not to qualify for the program, but why not? 
So I'm doing, I think I'm selling weed at the gym to pay for the pills because I worked at Bally's at the time. And when that wasn't enough anymore, I think that's when I first dabbled into fraud. And I did some check fraud, got arrested, and didn't serve a term, just got community service and had to pay the money back. So did that, got community service, and oh, that's a whole other episode, because it was right around the, I got community service at the coroner's office, and it was right around the time Michael Jackson died, so we weren't even allowed to, it was just like a whole thing, but anyways, um, that led to a relapse, which led to more drug use, mixing, you know, other things, not just Oxy anymore, because I think by then the FDA changed the way they made it and we couldn't abuse the pill anymore. We couldn't um, scratch off the time release because at this point we were smoking it. And once the FDA changed the way that we, were, we couldn't manipulate the pill... You know, we we considered ourselves real ones and we went to heroin because if you went to Roxy's, eh, you you weren't a real one. Anyways, um, so that led into a whole nother life because now I have to pay for this addiction. I start, you know, doing I start stripping, doing webcam lead to other things Um you know, I'm writing a book, so all this will be in the book. But um, just so many different things. And I get arrested again. Um, I think I do like six months. And I'm like, oh, I learned my lesson. And I, I, do, I do church. I do church all day, every day, thinking that's what's going to keep me sober. That doesn't work. I relapse. And I was like, there go there. My resentment for the church lights up again because, you know, they weren't there for me when I was in my deepest, darkest days of addiction. And now I try to get clean and sober and it doesn't work either. So I get arrested again. And this last time I'm that was my third time getting arrested. And last time getting arrested, I stand before you today because I just celebrated eight years clean off heroin yesterday and I'm so happy and so excited but I'd like to say it was that easy you know I got arrested that third time and the rest is history but it's not eight months in I I relapse my celly gets heroin in the mail and I get high with her I snort it in a spoon it was the only time I had ever done it like that but that was November 17, 2013. And I was high as hell in that jail cell looking at those bricks and just like asking myself, why did I do this? And I woke up the next morning and I never did it again. I, I made a promise to myself. And maybe a few weeks later, the chaplain came to the jail and I, I, you know, you want to leave yourself for any reason. So I go to Catholic church, Christian science. I would go to all of them until I really figured out that the wrong ones cloud your mind. Because when you know the truth, you don't need to, you don't even need to educate yourself with the other things. So anyways, long story short, 
that day she chaplain evans shout out to chaplain chaplain evans at linwood correctional she came every week and would talk to the women and she told me to just give him a chance so i did i went in my cell alone and i prayed i didn't even say jesus that's how far removed i needed to be from it i i would pray i would say jay and I did that for a few weeks till one day she came in again and I told her and she said, there's power in the name of Jesus. And I said, okay. And I started praying in the name of Jesus and I haven't looked back. And the life I have today is because I found freedom in Christ. Salvation is just a, is a basic level. Freedom is at the top and this freedom in Christ that I have discovered is amazing it's beautiful sometimes I can't even put it into words but you know today I I married me and my husband just celebrated one year uh, about a month ago and I'm I'm so happy you know we have our ups and our downs but we we communicate and we pray together and we pray for each other in front of each other and absent from each other and we encourage each other and he's my partner and he's my companion and I'm so thankful that he chose me and if Christ hadn't first chose me I don't think I'd have any of the relationships I have today so thank you for listening to that part of today's podcast. Now I want to get into the second part of the podcast. And I want to share with you guys a challenge that I've been participating in. It's called the I Am Challenge. It's with a group of people that we have a WhatsApp group. And, you know, we're, we're, we're all encouraging each other. But the I Am Challenge consists of 21 days of movement, meditation, and journaling. Now, the movement, I know how to do. The meditation, it's growing on me. I really like it. The journaling is why I specifically did this challenge. And the fruit that is coming out of this challenge, y'all, is amazing. It is so amazing. I couldn't even put it... I couldn't even imagine that the growth I would be experiencing would come out of such a, you know, simple challenge. And at the core of it, I am, is the God of my Bible. When he told Moses, I am who I am. And every day he's teaching me who I am. So the day one, the mantra was, I am aware and I'm gonna share the prompt and then share my journal entry. So here's the prompt. What do you struggle with on a regular basis? What comes up most often and challenges you? What triggers are you aware of and where do they stem from? I struggle on a regular basis knowing and feeling that I am enough, that my story is enough or even worth anyone's time. 
I struggle with loving myself the way God loves me. Fear of being seen and living up to my full potential challenges me, scares me, and even prevents me. I am aware of the daily struggles that I deal with due to lacking, lack of feeling enough, seen, and heard. Compounded with the fear of actually being seen and heard leaves me in a state of paralysis. Around and round I go. This is my wheel and I am the hamster. Getting in the same wheel every day. I am aware that my patterns and behaviors today are results of changing the way I used to think. My triggers stem from childhood, being abandoned by both parents at different times. I pretty much had to raise myself, better yet, unraise myself, and then re-raise myself. Always trying to prove myself or say what I did to get a pat on the back. Now I know I've grown a lot from the days of that I had to get arrested to get my dad's attention. But not being picked is my biggest trigger and I see it more clearly now. My mom didn't pick me when she left. My dad didn't pick me when he chose Lily. And I almost lost my future husband before he picked me. It's why I trouble with putting my story out there. I don't want people to not pick me. So I don't put myself out there as an option. I don't, I don't even want to be picked last, so I don't play the game. Now that I think about it, I didn't play many sports as a kid either, and I wonder if this is why. Not being picked by the most important people in my young adult life scared the shit out of me, and I didn't even realize it till now. I felt a glimmer of this come up when Robert and I traveled to Texas a couple years ago, but this is identifying it on a whole new level. What happened in our trip to Texas was we were probably like dating a year or something, maybe not even that long, but, you know, took a picture at LAX, posted it on Facebook. By the time we got there, his sister deleted his account. So every memory that we had like made on there already, he was deleted out of it because his account was gone on my end. So she, well, he made a new one. And then she deleted again. He made a new one. And she deleted it again. So after the third time, he had to realize that she had access to his email account. So he made a new email and made a new account. And But we were still, I was in my feelings at least. Because being in Texas... Was, was triggering the fact that my dad chose that woman and even moved out there, selling the house I grew up in and all those other things. Now, I've made amends and things are fine, but that's not the point. So 
We get into an argument, a fight. You know, I'll be honest, I yelled a lot. And my thing when I yell or I get mad, give me a, give me 10 minutes and I'll calm down and I'll come back. And that's what happened. So I calmed down. And then that's when I was able to see the not being picked part. And I was so scared that Robert wasn't going to pick me because no one else had. But thankfully, he did. We got married. We celebrated our one-year anniversary almost a month ago. And, you know, in that journal entry, it showed me a lot. And working on myself is a full-time job. Is a full-time job, y'all. Because I can sit in front of that TV or even the computer and feel and feel like I'm doing something. But this right here is what I was called to do. And the fact that I fought it so much shows even if it's just for one person. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to episode one of my podcast. Feel free to subscribe, like, and share. And um, till next time, have a good one.